Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and this is the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. With me, as always, is the Reverend, the Doctor, the David P. Gushy. And uh, we're glad you're here. How are you doing this morning, David? It is good to be doing this again, Jeremy. Uh, it's been hard for us to get time together recently. And uh, I am good on a lovely September morning here in Atlanta. Hope you are. It really is beautiful today. It's it's hard to be inside. Uh, even the joy of recording uh, with you, my dear friend. It's, <laughs> it's hard to draw me away from the back porch of my church. You, you know you minister at a Baptist church in the South when your church has a back porch with rocking chairs. Seriously. And Seriously. I love my back porch with rocking chairs. And you know, I usually meet you for these conversations on my back porch, um, but there's too many airplanes, helicopters, bugs, birds, whatever, living things. So I am in my, I'm in my uh, house right now, looking at the wall, all because you and our listeners are worth it. An undisclosed secret location deep beneath <laughs> the gushy compound. <laughs> That is right. We have once again made contact with our fearless leader. <laughs> well, fearless leader, you have another uh, fearless post that uh, has recently come out with, was it Baptist News Global? Baptist News Global. That's right. Yeah, Every other sure, week. If you're not um, keeping an eye on BNG, you should. David is a regular contributor over there, and it's a good, a good place to see what David's working on and what David's thinking about. And others too. It's it's a really lively uh, a collection of uh, essays and writers over there, for sure. Yeah, they do a good job. Mark does a great job curating that site. He does. Uh, so shout out to Mark Wingfield. Thank you for the work you do. Um, the piece that you just put out is a little different than usual. It's maybe less of an article and more of maybe a poem or a prayer. Feels a little bit more like that. Um, uh, I don't, I, uh, Sometimes, most of the time, 99% of the time, I write with, here's what we should think and do. Right. This is this is more like a lament. Just call it a lament. It's like a psalm of lament or something, you know, something like that. It was triggered by um, um, the cascade of conflict that I, that is kind of my daily news diet, and, and then... Uh, when President Biden uh, gave his speech, ramping up pressure for people to get vaccinated and the immediate response was uh, calls for civil disobedience and uh, so on, I thought, I've had just about enough. So I've written a lament. All right, excellent. Well, I'd love for you to just share it with us. Are you cool with that? Would you read it? I will. I'll read it uh, in... Um, uh, with the uh, inflections of how I feel, okay? There you so, go. Gushy in his own voice. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I, I have called this COVID wars lament over a broken, divided nation. Mm. I don't know if that's the title uh, it will have on the site because that can change, but that's what I wrote. So here we go. I was talking with a senior Mercer University colleague yesterday about the divisions engulfing our nation over COVID vaccines and masks. Carl, not his real name, has served as a pastor, professor, and politician. He's a very wise man. I said, Carl, two years ago, could you ever have imagined that we would be facing a situation like we are today? Carl surprised me with this response. Sure. 
Anyone who has ever tried to lead a church or do anything in politics knows how balky and stubborn people can be. But then I replied, but Carl, in some states, we can't get even half the people to take a vaccine in their own best interest to save their own lives. And Carl closed us out by saying, that's true. We can't get people to do what is in their own interest to do. But this is not the first time that has happened. Uh, I look around every day in this country and see the evidence of 400 years of civilizational development. I look at our educational and intellectual institutions, small and large businesses, physical infrastructure, science and tech sector, healthcare providers, government structures, sports and entertainment industries, legal judicial system, voluntary associations, clubs and neighborhoods. It has taken a very long time to build this country and all that has made it successful. Yes, there has been so very much injustice involved in building what has been built here, but much that is impressive has been built here. For at least the last 75 years, this country was seen by many as one of, if not the greatest, most powerful, most dynamic and most well-run countries the world had yet seen. We reluctantly intervened and helped win World War I. We finally intervened and helped win World War II. We organized a successful Normandy landing. We faced off with the USSR and that country finally collapsed as we won the Cold War. We built spaceships and landed people on the moon. We gave the world Lil Nas X. I mean, really. Gushy on Lil Nas X. And now we can't get even half the people in seven states to take one shot of a vaccine that has been available since January. That's because we can't agree on whether COVID is a real disease. We can't agree on whether the vaccine is a real cure. We can't agree on Dr. Fauci. We can't agree on the CDC. We can't agree on whether we should mandate vaccines. We can't agree on whether we should mandate masks, whether for the vaccinated or unvaccinated. We can't agree on whether or where it is safe to travel. We can't agree on what the rules should be for kids and teachers in school, or if they should even be in school. After Joe Biden's speech on G September 9th, now we can't agree on whether federal government vaccine mandates are good policy or new grounds for massive civil disobedience. Deep breath, Jeremy. It's worse than all this. We can't agree on whether Joe Biden or Donald Trump is the legitimate or actual president. We can't agree on whether there was a violent insurrection on January 6th or whether the people imprisoned for that event are villains or heroes. We can't agree on what basic voting rules in our state should be. We can't agree on what constitutes a fair and free election. We can't agree on whether there's such a thing as climate change, even as people and land in our states burn and drown. Everyone is suing everyone. Here's a sampling from today's news. Sean Spicer is suing Joe Biden for removing him from the U.S. Naval Academy Board. The Justice Department is suing Texas over its new abortion law. GOP governors are immediately threatening to sue the White House over its new vaccine mandates. Trump is suing social media companies. Dominion Voting Systems is suing Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and all kinds of people over their false claims of rigged voting machines. Several U.S. Capitol Police officers and some Democratic Congress members are suing Trump over January 6th. Sometimes it seems that the only institutions that work in this country are related to sports. We may have 150,000 new COVID cases and 1,500 deaths a day. We may not be allowed to travel to Europe because we are a, quote, very unsafe country. 
we don't quite agree on who our president is, but we can still pack 90,000 people into football stadiums to watch very large, hugely talented men knock each other around. This is a lament. I am not offering answers because I don't know what the answer is. These are three things I do know. Our civilization feels shaky. Anything that has been built up can be brought down. We are tearing ourselves apart. And that is the end of that article. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Well, what do you think of the tone? That's exactly how I felt when I wrote that article. The um, yeah, I th- I think most people probably on on the issues you mention, I think probably everyone, even on both sides, are feeling at least that emotion, the the sort of visceral response, the lament for what feels like I, I was recently listening to a podcast uh, called it could happen here um, about how civilizations collapse. Mm-hmm. And he said the stage of civilization we're in right now is called the crumbles. Really? Yeah. Um, a lot of people are feeling like we're in the crumbles on, on both sides, which it's- is fascinating because we can't agree on anything except that things are bad. The strain, just the constant strain. Um, I wrote a piece uh, a few months ago where I said, um, I'm able to sigh a little bit of relief that things feel semi-normal, but that was before the Afghanistan pullout uh, that really hurt Biden's um, reputation for management competency mm-hmm. and um and before it became clear that we were failing on the vaccines and uh covid front and um before it seemed that everybody was suing everybody all at the same time so normal or semi-normal or breath of hope it, it hasn't lasted very long um yeah the, the summer of optimism right is over yeah the summer of optimism lasted until about what all August 1st, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was it? The winter of our discontent? <laughs> uh, it's going to be a long winter. You know, um, it's easy. If you have a little bit of lifetime on you, if you've lived as long as I have, you can remember better days. And this is not just old people nostalgia. It's um, memory of a time when we were not at each other's throats in this kind of epic way at every moment, all the time. It feels like real hate. That's that's true. And also just the legit, the perceived legitimacy of our institutions. Um, and you know, when you, you start tearing at those threads, it gets really dangerous. I, I read over the weekend that 58% of Republicans do not believe that uh, Joe Biden is the legitimate president. Mm-hmm. That's that's a lot of people. Um, and um, apparently Trump said on OANN right wing news network that he still believes that the election will be decertified, you know, and, you know, when you start uh, and then there are people who, who re- reject the legitimacy of the Supreme Court, they don't like its current makeup and its decisions. So the Supreme Court is not legitimate. Um, the president is not legitimate. 
uh, the elections are not legitimate for this or that reason. The new elections will not be legitimate for this or that reason. Um, basic legitimacy, the basic authority, um, consent of the governed to accept that these are the people who are legitimately in charge for now until the next election. All of that um, is much, much more shaky than it ever has been in my lifetime. And, um, and we're asking our courts to do an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we're asking, in many ways, we're asking our courts to resolve the hangover of the Donald Trump experience, right? Through multiple lawsuits of both the civil and possibly criminal nature, you know, multiple uh, actions. We're ask, we ask our, our courts to resolve our moral disputes, like over abortion. Um, we ask the Supreme Court to be the main legislator in America right now because of the way the, the legislature is broken. Um, if the time should come where the where people just simply say, or enough people simply say, we're not going to abide by those decisions either. Um, I don't know. I, I fear the next election. I know there's going to be some elect- electioneering this fall, but mainly it's 2022. Right. I, you know, I fear that we now have a precedent of, of every election's legitimacy being challenged and people out in the streets. Um, and so I do believe that Donald Trump bears a profound and disproportionate share of responsibility for this, but it's not only him. We've been building towards this for a long time, and there are uh, uh, dangerous voices um, in multiple sectors. Yeah, the I used to believe... That so, so my general thought about politics, like you'd, you'd talk about the, the legislators, I, I thought of the people on the floors of the houses of Congress as professional wrestlers. They stand up, they throw some fists, they hit each other with chairs, they say all the lines, and then when it's over, they go get a beer and wait for the next show. But right. I really think they hate each other now. It's it like is. all of our politicians have become fundamentalist preachers. Yes. And related to that is, I mean, it's the, well, the politicizing of our religion and the religionizing of our politics. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good word. Um, you should tweet that, Jeremy. Um, the politicizing of our religion so that churches tend to be either blue or red churches. Right. And... Um, I've, I've written elsewhere, and I will say again, churches that manage to keep people who vote differently together for long periods of time are actually fulfilling a crucial public service in this time. It's incredibly difficult. Yeah, the purple churches, they're sometimes called, right? But that, that involves a difficult, challenging work for pastors on a daily basis. And of course, COVID has made it worse because COVID became politicized. Right. And, and mask wearing became politicized. So public health measures became politicized. So even that is yet another marker of red and blue division. Right. Um, and anyway, so politicized religion so that there are few, if any, religious voices who can transcend the the conflict and represent a word that is unifying for everyone. Uh, there's, there's no transcendent religious voices. There's mainly red and blue, um, strident red and blue, 
and then the purple church people trying to keep the whole thing from blowing apart, right? Which it and wants to do. It wants to do on a weekly basis, right? As you know? someone who's desperately trying to pastor a purple church, it's definitely the harder choice. And it want it doesn't, it is not a natural state. You have right. to work it. You have to work at it because if you, and if you just misstate or misstep in some way, uh, invite the wrong person or, or hit a wrong note, you could you could drive either one side or the other side out of your church pretty quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And then the religionizing of our politics. Um, well, uh, it's the level of righteous rage, the goodness of our side, the evil of their side, and and again the the straining of our institutions that that are based on the nonviolent discussion of differences, votes that resolve issues for now until we revisit them later and we move on and we keep on going about our lives. Um, uh, politics has become religion and religion has become uh, politicized. Yeah, the it's- Senate really was a, one of the best deliberative bodies in the that's what, world. That's what my father said. I mean, there were always problems with it. Um, but my father worked uh, in policy analysis in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And um, he said that, I mean, obviously there were stresses and strains, but they didn't hate each other mostly. Mm-hmm. And they could oppose each other on issue A and work together on issue B because that's just what you did, right? It's like you said about the, the religionization of our politics, Republicans are um, Confederate traitors and backward. The, what's that show on Hulu? Uh, uh, Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale. Tale. Uh-huh, right, that's yeah. that's who they are. And the Democrats are literal demons. Literal uh, who... demons that eat babies. <laughs> Popular belief. Uh Yes, uh, um, the the conspiracy thinking and and so on um, is, I think conspiracy thinking tends to heighten when people cannot bear reality, mm-hmm. and and a lot of people cannot bear the reality of having to share this country with people who are moral strangers to them. Um, you know, uh, I think um, there's other lessons to be learned from this COVID situation that maybe this is as good a time as any. I I read over the weekend that uh, of the G7 countries, the major economies in the world, the US has the worst vaccination rate. Uh, For a while we were ahead, ahead of Europe, but we're behind because large sectors of our society simply do not trust the vaccine or the people who are asking them to take it. Yeah, do you see uh, Trump told an Alabama rally to get vaccinated and they booed him? They booed him. Trump got booed. The the movement associated with him in some ways has gone beyond him, though my experience of watching him is he'll always go with that movement. So he'll he'll just keep going in that direction, right? But, but we, we have to remember uh, uh, our current vice president, Harris, said back while Trump was the president that she would not take Trump's vaccine. And likened him suggesting that she should to the Tuskegee uh, syphilis trials. 
She said that. I don't yeah. know that I knew that. Horrifying. Because it's that was Trump's vaccine. And if he told her to take it, she would not. So now it's Biden's vaccine. Right. Right. Apparently. Um, so so people are not going to take it because it's and it's the federal government, and the federal government is not to be trusted. And um, you know, so so we have a loss of trust in the other side, in general, a loss of trust in institutions other than SEC football. That's working fine, right? Um, I'm serious about that, Jeremy. I mean, you think about like the machine of Alabama football. Roll Tide. Uh-huh. And by the way, Mercer, I thought gave him a decent game. I Saturday. was hoping for two punts. I wanted two punts a quarter, and I would say that Mercer had done a good job. They scored twice. They scored twice. So um, Mercer... Saban, the head coach of Alabama, has been under fierce criticism for the violent rage that he displayed uh, in response to those touchdowns. Did, did He's he did known that? for his outbursts and headset throwing and screaming. I thought he was going to have a heart attack. I didn't get to see the, the game. Was he really upset that Mercer yes, scored? Yes, he was furious. Uh, did they have their first team in or was it backups? Uh, it was the first team for the first half and then backups for the second half when we scored twice. Okay. I'm an Alabama fan attending Mercer University. It's been a very confusing week for me. And as I'm an Alabama fan who married an Auburn fan. Um that's that's interfaith right there. That's interfaith marriage right there. Um so but anyway, it, it does seem that we have some institutions that work pretty well and um but but uh many that are not. And um it, it needs to be remembered that that a, a vaccine rate below 50% in some states, it's, it's not just about conservatives. There's a lot of uh, non-conservative voters. Um, Anti-vax that... in general was always sort of a, a liberal movement. That was sort of a, a, a neo-hippie thing that went with like California and um, Portland, Maine and Oregon. You kind of think about those as being the places where you find the anti-vaxxers pre-COVID. Uh now it's much bigger than that. And um, so I, I read an interesting book that I, I would recommend that people read. You can read it in an afternoon. It's called The Once and Future Liberal by Mark Lilla, L-I-L-L-A. -L -L -A. Maybe you can put it in the show notes. Um, the Once and Future Liberal. And he's, um, he identifies himself as a liberal, a political thinker. He said that... Um, uh, Really, what he's criticizing is identity politics coming to dominate uh, liberal America, um, uh, what what would now be called woke politics. Right. But but he but he says um, what both the Republican side and the Democratic side have have uh, allowed to erode. I mean, he traces it back to Reagan, actually, is a sense of the common good and that we do things for one another because we are co-members of a society. So, um, so the, the reason, so to say one reason to take a vaccine is so that people you don't even know don't get sick, right? Um, is to ask people to be citizens, to care about their neighbors um, enough to do something that they may not prefer to do, maybe maybe don't even think they need to do, but they'll do it for others. Yeah, well, but we're not citizens; we're tribesmen, right? We um, we've, we live in tribes. 
I think that's true. can scapegoat each other, that can war with our neighbors. We can circle or, the wagons. Or we're just individuals. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. Um, and so Lilla traces it back to Reagan um, and the denigration of government. I mean, one way to think about government theoretically even is government is the product of our pooled efforts to act collectively, right? So um, we pay for the government to provide trash pickup because we need a collective service. We pay for the government to, to give us uh, a fire department because we are not good at doing that as individuals, right? Um, and same thing with police. And as you go up the ladder, you realize there are a lot of things that we can only do together or do better together, right? But, but then you have to respect the institutions that we have created together. And you have to, in a democracy, you have to be willing for them to be led by different people at different times who have slightly different ideas as to what they should do. Um, and, and you have to be willing to pay for the services that they provide through taxes. Um, and you need an overall ethos of, uh, we honor those who do our collective work and um, we need them and we honor them and we will pay for them adequately and we will not undercut them in the, the work that they do. Um, Lilla says that, um, that on the Republican side, uh, libertarianism essentially and laissez-faire capitalism undercut that, anti-government libertarianism. But on the liberal side, kind of um, identity politics has undercut that. And we're not training people to be citizens, we're training people to be uh, members of the, uh, of the groups that they identify with. That's what he says to challenge the right, left, right? Um, and so, but this would be, this would have an implication for, um, for our ability to do a vaccine campaign. Um, we don't trust the people who are developing the vaccines. They're from the government. We don't trust them. We don't want to do what they're asking us to do because um, it might be some risk to us and we don't feel a sense of mutual obligation to others. And, um, and so on and so on. Or even if it's developed by the person on the wrong tribe, so therefore I don't trust it, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. You cannot have a society in which people, a successful society in which people are unable to think of themselves as fellow citizens um, or to think of their government as doing a good faith effort to advance the common good. And so part of what I think Christian leaders need to do is just to reinforce even, you know what? It's time to preach Romans 13 again. How about that? Remember when we did an exposition of Romans 13? Yep. You know, why does the government exist? For our good. It's a servant to do you good. Now, Paul, of course, emphasizes the punitive part. It exists to keep those bad terrorists from bringing down our airplanes, like on September 11th. You know, who does that? That's government. How do we pay for that? With our taxes right? Government does that for us. You know, it's like the only branch of government that you can see a lot of people collectively give a lot of respect to is the military. Right. That's an expression of government, but so is the IRS and um, the agriculture department and whoever else is doing the work that we're collectively paying them to do. And so is whoever happens to be in charge of the state department or, or the white house or who's, who's on the courts, um, 
I don't know, call me a, call me an American patriot or something, but I believe that in general, those institutions that have been built up have a lot of strength to them. I'd rather have our version of them than in a lot of the other countries of the world. That's, that's always where I sort of land. Um, Cause my, I've always sort of had a libertarian bent because um, I, I don't necessarily want someone far away from me. My, my version of what some have identified as libertarianism is really a localist perspective. Yeah, localism. I want government to be local. Yeah. Um, so I'm suspicious of giant organizational pieces that are far away telling me how to do things. But I much prefer our system than any other that I have seen. I've traveled and I've studied and I prefer our system despite like you pointed out in your lament we've gotten it wrong a lot but right now if if I could choose a time and place to be born it would be here tomorrow well that's an expression of hope and as somebody you know who is a young father that's really that you are that's really meaningful you know you still have hope for the world in which um, you will be raising children are raising children and um, uh, that, that gives me hope because sometimes, sometimes, and this is something to do with being almost 60 years old and having seen a lot of life, sometimes I, um, I am not sure that I could say what you just said mm-hmm. in, in relation to my grandchildren. I don't say it every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it I is, I, mean, listening- I know it doesn't come easily either because there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of lament in, in your knowledge of our world as well. Right. But you yeah. still have hope. Um, and hope is a choice. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's yeah. like, um, it's like how love actually works. Some days you wake up and you're in love and some days you wake up and you choose love. Right. That's tweetable. And it's true. Um, so, so I guess maybe I would say, um, I would plead with our listeners to not join in nihilistic despair over where our country is, but but to join in legitimate lament leading to, let's call it the choice to hope and then to act on the basis of um, the best interests of our communities in which we live and the nation in which we find ourselves. I mean, I, I think of um, some of the actions that people have taken in the last few years as like, like legitimately taking a hacksaw to laboriously built up structures and just kind of, just kind of hacking at them. How about a, how about a hatchet? Uh, how about a hatchet? Taking a hatchet and hacking at them and seeing how, how much damage you can do to this structure before it collapses. Mm-hmm. If we just hit this over here, how hard can we hit it? How long can we hit it? You know, things like the independent judiciary uh, and uh, the trust of our election systems. How how hard can we hit this before people before it collapses? Right. Um, and I think true patriots try to protect the strength of a civilization of a society that they that God placed them in, for it to be as healthy and sustainable. So that what has been built up is not lost on our watch. Yeah. Um, 
you know, uh, we've seen plenty of countries around the world where people don't trust the courts, they don't trust the legislatures, they, they don't trust the, the, they don't even know who the president is because it's disputed. And everything is resolved with guns. Yeah. Would you, I mean, would you like to live in Haiti? Would you prefer Haiti? Haiti, that's a pretty good description of Haiti. Yeah. Um, the only thing and, you can trust are the gangs. Right. When I, when I used to do, um, I used to travel to Costa Rica, had a lot of uh, church planting and missionary friends there. Um, the the people that ran the the mail, the ambulances, the taxis, and security and fire control were the gangs because you trusted <laughs> were, them. You knew they, who they were. <laughs> you knew who they were. They were functioning as government, basically. And sometimes they would kill you and sometimes they would take your children and sometimes they would tell you where you're going to live and what you're going to sell and whether or not you can go to church. But you knew who they were. Wow. So, I mean, one way to think about this moment that we're in is it is September in 2021. The next major election cycle is November of 2022. We need to do everything we can to restore the health of this democracy rather than to burn it to the ground. Um, I think the November 2022 elections, I'm not just talking about the outcome of the elections, I'm talking about the fact that we could have them and acknowledge, oh, there was an election in this state, here's who won, we agree. Here's what the rules were, you know, and not have every election end up in the courts or in the streets with violence. So I do think, well, I guess I, not being a political scientist who's got the categories of civilizational crumbling, I'm asking us to not give in to civilizational crumbling, at least to do our part to fight it. So and to, to do that in the name of Jesus, because we love our neighbors. So where do we start? Is it trying to bring the temperature down in conversations? Is it, um, is it micro? Is it macro? Where do we go for this? Because it, it's easy to frame, especially if you're talking about, say, vaccines. Someone has to lose for someone to win on At least on somebody issues. has to think they're losing because they're going to be told they have to do something they don't want to do. Right. Um, so what do we do as individuals and as Christians and as neighbors? Well, I would say um, one thing is to refuse to demonize neighbors that we disagree with, to, to look for to look for common ground or, or co-laboring possibilities. Um, and I would also say to uh, just basic good government stuff, um, you know, to work for reasonable, fair, widely agreed good government solutions that can at least get the assent of the reasonable middle and marginalize the, the screamers on both sides, right? Um, what does, you know, what does a, a reasonable election system look like or, uh, or whatever it would be, right? Um, I do think that the initial, on the vaccines, the initial plan of wooing people, of encouraging people to take the vaccines, um, 
was right, to in, even incentivizing people, I do see why the, why the effort is now being ratcheted up towards a more mandating thing because of the consequences for human health in our society as well mm -hmm. as the economy. So I don't, I don't oppose the, the somewhat higher pressure. Do you notice that even as I saw the, the um, proposals from Biden, it's weekly testing or vaccines. So there's still an option. It's yeah. just an inconvenient one and maybe an unfeasible one, right? But there's still an option. It's not, we're going to send people to your house and start shooting you with, with vaccines, right? You know, um, but that's how it's being pitched, of course. Yeah. The, other side. The, um, the, there's a instinct, an impulse to sensationalize yeah. the other side that is it maybe that's the more polite version of our demonizing. Right. Sensationalizing. You know, um, there's a lot of talk these days of social media reform um, by legislation, if necessary. I saw I saw one proposal today. What if um, if likes, uh, the whole like feature were taken off of all social media posts and there could be no algorithm associated with uh, things that were liked. Think about that. We go, well, so go back to how it started. There, there's a whole machine, because what gets likes? Outrage. There's mm -hmm. an outrage, positive feedback loop in social media algorithms because they want to give you what makes you react and what people react to are things that make them angry. And so outrage porn is now a genre of news, right. uh, clickbaiting, right? With sensational headlines that don't you don't read the article, you just read the headline. You feel and like you you've learned react. News. Right, the, right. Yesterday, um, I preached here at Townview, uh, and the the big the big call was to become an actor rather than a reactor. Yeah, I want people to be less reactionary, and and be allow their lives to be governed by mission and values that can guide them to make clear decisions rather than everything being in response to external forces. Yeah, that's a good word. It's a good word, Jeremy. Um, but social media makes its money off of, of, of getting that up. So if you, if uh, the government legislation, and I think Republicans and Democrats have interest in this. Um, I think this could be bipartisan. Because that, because both sides realize that we are, we are being polarized in large measure through social media. If if that algorithm machine were broken, um, uh, that could be profound. We need better news sources, and we also need better better ways to manage the emotions that are generated by our public life. Right. Um, I do think that churches stand condemned to the extent that we don't have a gospel other than surrender to um, politicizing. Mm. Um, I think many, many liberal and conservative churches, their messages are almost indistinguishable from either, either uh, say, MSNBC or Fox. Show me some gospel. Show yeah. me some gospel. Show, show me some scriptures. Show me some Jesus. Show me that you have some contact with the global Christian and biblical tradition that has something other than an echo of the latest news outrage. I hope that you'll keep an eye on my ministry and call me on these things as well. Yes, 
listeners, I am now watching Jeremy on Sundays as watching, a co- as a, as a participating member, with, participating and creating with a community of faith, hope, and love. Oh, uh, that's because I have to know that because I'm a member and I've got to have that mission statement down like everybody else, right? Um, yes, I'm. Uh, I think Townview, our church faithfully avoids avoids politicizing i've seen no sign of it in my time there it's hard i my my wife was i was over i was i was listening to my wife's conversation um that she was having on the phone with a a good friend and they were catching up and the friend asked well how's jeremy doing and she sighed deeply and said this is a miserable time to be a pastor Mm. and wow i've she's completely right. And I've not allowed myself to feel that. And so that hit me like a truck. Have you said that to her or does she just say this? I mean, her assessment of what she sees. That's just her watching me. Yeah. Yeah. And I I confide in her more than I do other people, obviously. Right. So she knows the great extent of the pressure and the anxiety and the, the pain and the loss of this season as a minister in a local congregation and how acute and how different that is from other because we're all losing we all have loss and anxiety in this season yeah. yeah but to be responsible for a body that is supposed to be a certain way so many things about what it is to be church are extra difficult right now yeah and yeah it is a miserable time to be a pastor and i, is, I thank her for articulating that for me she's a dear dear person um, is and is a major or the major flashpoint this whole masking and what the rules are going to be at church thing? Is that a big part of it? It is right now, mm-hmm. yeah. because, like you said, though it's like a dog whistle. Yeah, that the masks are not related to the way that I vote, <laughs> but people um, think they are. Uh, yeah, it's 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 become. Uh, it's you know the the bloods and the crips, right? The yeah, the mask, exactly. The mass and the non-mass. It's like the what color bandana do you wear? Hey, <laughs> is one of the the maskers? Hey, it's a blue face. Get him. Yeah. The uh, yeah. oh gosh, the we've worked incredibly hard to find the the path that aligns with our mission for what we think God has called us to do and who God has called us to be, our vision for how we imagine we could do that and the values that we think are essential uh, in letting those guide us to find a way to still do the things that we think we need to do without jeopardizing health and security. Everything has risk. Yeah. Everyone's still go- Most of us are still going to the grocery store. Yeah. Everyone has chosen what level of risk they're comfortable with. Yeah. We are working tirelessly to constantly do better on in our live streaming, in our connectivity at distance and over technology. But we have found ways to be able to gather as safely as possible with circulating air, with hyper, with electrostatic cleaning, with masks, with distance, with temperatures, with open doors and fresh air and social distance, all of it, as much of it as we can implement. Yeah. And still, so that people, can be confident and comfortable and safe. And some of the people that need 
to do the normal church things the most are some of the most vulnerable. Yeah. The single elderly yeah, I, woman I know. who has no one who can't exactly work who a computer needs yeah. to go to church. Yeah. She needs that. Um, so we, even if you are young and healthy and fit and have no fear of the vaccine, have no fear of the virus and no felt need for the vaccine, she needs you to wear that mask so that she can go to church. See, that's an example of something that that I was saying earlier at the citizenship level. It's not just about me and what I want. It's about her and what she needs. Mm-hmm. And it's not political. When you walk through that door, it has to stop being political. It's yeah, it's it's and in that case, it's in the body of Christ. How do we create an environment so that that little old lady who desperately needs face-to-face community can come to church, right? It's not just about my preference and I, I feel choked in a mask for an hour. It's about her and her needs. And it's right? one hour. Right. We're you asking know? for no for the smallest possible sacrifice. Right. So um and it's evangelical. It's this is a this is an outreach issue about true. hospitality and welcome yeah. that yeah. anyone could show up and not feel at risk to enter our building to to encounter a gospel community if they feel like doing it in person. Lots of folks are our online presence is much larger than our yeah. in person. Uh, by right? two it's two thirds of mm-hmm. our weekly attendance are on the computer. Here's a thought, Jeremy. Um, The Christian community, and this is for all of our pastors, needs to be a place where the reasons, like the ones you just mentioned, can still be articulated with coherence, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so, friends, why are we wearing masks today, even if some of us might wish we weren't? And you're giving reasons. Evangelism, right? Hospitality. Love of the vulnerable. Exactly. Um, but you know, in other words, you have theological reasons, good, right. solid theological reasons. And if people can't hear those theological reasons because they're hearing them through the lens of uh, politicized social media or something, then they're being discipled by a counter gospel force. Mm-hmm. The, right. My sermon yesterday was titled Adversary. Okay. We were talking about how you, what gets in the way of us being who we feel we've been called to be right and that's, that's thing one was, of them. And some yeah. folks have will hear us say love protection of the vulnerable evangelism hospitality and say but why are we only doing what the democrats want uh-huh. yeah yeah it's so it's so deep right now it is it is um and that is an environment in which Jesus, our dear Jesus, our Savior and Lord is like, I just picture him beckoning to us saying, do you remember anything about what it means to follow me? Or have you gotten so buried in the politics of your culture that you've just forgotten me? You've just forgotten me. I I would say that insofar as political community can exist at all, um, you can then reason by extrapolation why should we get vaccines? Why should we wear masks at Kroger? It's because we are fellow citizens. We are members of a community with these people too. And, um, you know, Jeremiah, pray for the peace of, of the city in which you find yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
uh, act for the good of your neighbor, wherever you are. So in other words, some of the things we learn how to do in Christian community can have extensions that can give us reasons to do the same in, in civic community. And so that, in a, in a way, that ought to help us to be salt and light people. We know how to think differently about things because we're being trained to think differently in the church. Right. Then when we go out into the broader world, we're not going to listen to uh, the people who are telling us to look out only for ourselves because we've been trained to think differently. That, in a, in a sense, makes us, well, salt and light, leaven, you know, um, uh, bearers of, of, of hope and love to our neighbors. And so... So even though we don't have to wear a mask or don't think we should have to wear a mask in thus or such an environment, we do because it's for our neighbors or whatever. We cooperate. Um, I mean, we can make it really difficult for the government to collect our taxes, but we don't because, because we're, we care about our neighbors and the services that those taxes pay for. In other words, it's the idea of the church as a school of virtue. Yeah that then teaches us how to be better in all other sectors of our life. But if the church is unable to be that because we've collapsed before those external pressures, then we're just part of the problem. We can't be part of the solution. Yeah. So much of what we're facing is the fruit of a failure to disciple. It is. It is that. we, And it's, it's so, I say it all the time. Um, can't remember who it's from right now. Greek uh, poet, Achilles. Uh, you will not, when trouble comes, you will not rise to the level of your expectations. You will fall to the level of your training. Oh, that's exactly right. Um, and by the way, maybe, maybe we'll close with this because we've been ranting for a while here. But um, I find that in my teaching right now and in my writing, I am leaning hard into, into basic core Christian discipleship stuff. Um. In my new book, Introducing Christian Ethics, uh, which has now got a release date of January 11th, and will be both, it'll be audio, video, ebook, and print. And Jeremy has been integral in helping to make that happen. That's now in development. The galleys have been reviewed. Um, that book is really grounded theologically. Um, it, is, it is theological, biblical ethics. In other words, I don't think that what is needed from me right now is more kind of show me how liberal your politics can be. No, you know, I, I, I'm not wanting to impress anybody that I'm I've that that's I'm the best there. But what I actually want is to help Christians still remember how to be Christians. Yeah. Um, and and now sometimes that'll lean in liberal directions on some things, sometimes it'll be conservative on some things, you know. Um like for example, in that book, I'm I, I am, uh, I'm really fairly conservative on the bioethical issues and pretty progressive on gender and race. That's what I believe the gospel teaches. And so I, 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 that's how I got there. But, but in other words, I'm afraid on the right and the left, when I see some of the preaching that happens, um, on the right and the left, I think we're losing a distinctive the theological vocabulary. Um, I think all we've got is, is politics and, um, we don't need more of that. We need, we need legit biblical work and theological work and um, contact with a tradition that goes beyond America circa 2021. Mm -hmm. It's time to do the hard thing. Yeah. So that's maybe where we should leave it today, Jeremy. That sounds like a good place to land the plane. Thank you, David. Thank you, my friend. <laughs>